Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hear this. First and foremost, we want to extend our thanks and appreciation to all of you that listen to DV Radio. Whether it's live, podcasts, or spreading the word about what we do, thank you. It truly means the world to not only us, the host of the DV Radio Network, but those listeners that never knew about us that now know they are not alone and have the family that they can be themselves around. This episode was recorded on November 4th, 2023. We apologize for the delay in publishing it. However, as you'll hear in the first little bit prior to the intro, we had to have Gary, aka Ginger Texas, re-record his bits. He was coming in horribly as he received a call from his job during the show. We had some fun with it, but we love him all the same. Also, please listen to this episode at your own discretion. Not only do we discuss addiction about alcohol or alcoholism, but we discuss the addiction of prescription pills and street drugs as well as suicide. If you are an addict or know someone that is an addict, we encourage you to seek help. It's never too late to become sober. If you do need to speak with somebody at any point during listening, please do so immediately. You have so many resources out there, such as ObjectiveZero.org, where you can be completely anonymous, battle in distress, the VA hotline, which all you have to do is dial 988. That's just to name a few. We love each and every one of you, hope that you continue to stay sober if you were once an addict, and we hope you can find soberness if you are an addict. We're here for you. You are our family. Please feel free to reach out to us for anything at any time. If we cannot help you, we will do whatever we can to find the help you rightfully deserve. And now, without further ado, here is Barrick's Talk from WDVR, DVRadio.net, which airs live every Saturday night at 2000, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Do enjoy the show. Yep. And where I ended up. Go ahead. Sorry, you're coming in broken, fucked up. Uh, it's clipping like everywhere you speak on my end. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I got, I'm running an emergency call for my company. So it's a good thing I'm not, you know, everything. Um, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, but every word you speak is like click, 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 click. <laughs> Radio. Okay, listen up. Before we start this, understand what it is. The Spartan Pledge is a battle drill. It's what to do when you don't know what to do. Remember that. I will be the last to fall. Two things every warfighter needs. I won't shed a tear for them to see. Is a battle buddy and a mission. Repeat after me. I will not take my own life by my own hand. I will, I will not take, take my, my own life by my own hand. Until I talk to my battle buddy first. Until I talk to my battle buddy first. My mission, my mission is to find a mission. Is to find a mission. To help my warfighter family. To help my warfighter family. Thank you. You've now taken the Spartan Pledge. Don't let it die here. You are now authorized to go and tell other people, other warfighters. You don't take it for yourself, you take it for them. It's an agreement so they know where to go when they're having problems. Take this, go give it to others. All the way. 
make it happen. Go give it to others. Make it happen. DV Radio. Please remember the views and opinions expressed by this show or any other show on DV Radio and its guests are strictly those of sad individuals and do not reflect those of the DV Radio staff nor the staff of dysfunctional veterans. I am the first dick in your ear, Bonerwood, so it's going to be a hard one tonight. Oh, God damn it, Bonerwood, that's just not even fair. This is Barracks Talk. This is inside the nuthouse, man. We got Sergeant Wardog. Oh, I just broke out of the rubber room, dog. The bacon man himself, oink. You are truly putting a D in the B when it comes to DV radio. Mr. Recoil. I prefer to be referred to as belly and down. And don't know where the fuck Google is. I told you it's my computer, it's not me. That's exactly how I feel. We probably had a few too many to drink, you know what I'm saying? 20 bucks, 20 bucks. Can I get a thimble full of sweet baby rays, please? We don't have it. Saturday's going to be even more entertaining. Illogical. We still have the DD radio store for those wondering. Shit's still there. You can buy shit. Mine shit's good, okay? Oh, we haven't even gotten there yet. You fucking got me there already. Love and military barracks talking around this mother. How's your back feeling after that penis reduction? Oh, wow. <laughs> You're tuned in to WDVR on DVRadio.net. Because this is how it is on DV Radio. That is how it is right here on WDVR, DVRadio.net. It's Barrett's Talk Live. You're listening to us on podcasts on most major podcast platforms, including Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Google, Fuckstick, whatever the fuck that shit's called, Pandora, and a whole bunch of other places. Just type in DV Radio Podcast. You can find us on most major podcast platforms. Follow us, share us, get the word out, yada, 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 all that shit out of the way. I'm Boulderwood. Tonight is a very special episode. We've been planning it for quite a few months now, uh, so we hope you do enjoy it. Uh, but before we get to the interview and the interviewees, uh, we are going to change the format up a little bit because, one, I feel absolutely horrible that we haven't done it in a while. And he's told me, like, the last five shows he's had <laughs> one and we've just not had the time or I've been hurting. And I'm like, yeah, we got to end the show. Um, but in just a few minutes, we will have a faithful from none other than Sergeant Wardog himself. But up in Alaska, we got the bacon pig himself. He's sort of frozen. He's sort of hot. He's he's kind of defrosting, but he's freezing at yeah. the same time. It's fucking oint. I'm, I'm kind of mushy right now. We're at 40. So, you know, that's <laughs> kind of odd for November and fucking in Alaska. But yeah, just call me mushy balls tonight, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I can see sausage being mushy, but bacon? I don't know. I, well, I, yeah, you don't want bacon mushy. You got to have that nice and crisp. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not, not too crisp to the fact that it's going to fucking crumble when you pick it up. But just crispy enough that it has that crunch when you bite into it. And, it's, <laughs> and that fat Crunchy. just melts in your mouth. And, <laughs> ooh, wee, so wee. 
<laughs> just like bacon, I'm salty and full of fat. <laughs> so we'll just roll with it. Oh, shit. And then down in Florida, we got none other than the Psych Ward Gang CEO and supervisor himself. It's the Marine Crown Eater, Sergeant Ward. How you doing, brother? I confess I'm a pimp by blood. <laughs> Might want to back up off your mic just a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, I'm so sorry. You're good. Let me let me run that back one more time. I confess I'm a pimp by blood. Uh, see, on my end, I have everybody turned up just a tit. And then when Sergeant Wardog spoke, my eardrum bled a little bit. <laughs> bad dog, my bad, my bad. I got hype. You know how I get hyped every once in a while around here? <laughs> it's one of those nights, huh? One of those nights? <laughs> one of those nights, brother. I hear you. Uh, we don't have recoil tonight. He's doing uh, a family get-together or family thing tonight, so hope that's going well. Uh, don't forget, at dvradio.net, DV Radio Store, click on it. You've got until November 5th, that's Sunday, November 5th, to get your promo right now. That is uh, 15 or 20% off, excuse me, 20%, 20%, 20 percentile <laughs> off of everything at the DV Radio store. Uh, that includes DV Radio merch, Sergeant War Dog merch, PTS Dog, Betsy Ross, DV Farm, Change Unchained, and DV Against DV. Uh, so go to dvradio.net, click on the DV Radio store, click the redeem button so you get your 20% off. That offer ends November 5th, 2023. Then next Saturday, Veterans Day, November 11th, another promo, and I can't make this shit up because <laughs> it's it's right there in my books, 11% off of everything. <laughs> um, I guess that's a salute to the 11th of the 11th month of the year. I don't know. It's, I don't, I'm not in charge of the promos. So anyway, uh, if you want to get that 11% off next Saturday, that's going to be uh, just for that Saturday. Um, but yeah, uh, dvfarm.org. We still need to raise that 25 to 30 K for the septic system uh, redo. So dvfarm.org, please spread the word. Uh, yeah. That's, that's all I got to say about that. Um, Google had an accident yesterday and this is what I'll say about it. She was riding a horse. She fell from the horse. She broke her helmet. Got a concussion. Uh, she feels like shit today. Um, she did go to the hospital, but uh, everything's being watched over that. Uh, she thinks it's a grade two. I'm saying it's grade three from what she's been telling me, but um, DD6 is watching her. Obviously, I'm trying to keep up with it and uh, make sure everything's all right, but it's not her first time falling off of a horse uh, and it's not her fault. She does know how to ride. Uh, just sometimes shit happens and you fall off a horse. Uh, but hopefully well, the last one looked like it fucking hit the brakes hard on the last yeah. one. So yeah, the last, <laughs> the last one, she didn't get a concussion, which I'm fucking surprised is all get out. But this one, she gets yep. a concussion and breaks the helmet. First time she's ever broke the helmet. So, uh, but yeah, uh, if you do prayers or anything like that, please send them their way. Uh, and, uh, if you got anything to say, uh, to, to raise her spirits, please go over to the DV farm page on Facebook. Let her know that you're thinking about her. We love her. 
and I'll give you an update as soon as possible. Right now, everything's okay. She just feels like shit. Because if you don't know anything about a concussion, let me tell you, it can take days for that shit to go away. I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's go over to none other than Sergeant Wardock himself with this week's Thetho. Ooh, that's the part I was talking about with the whole fuck around and find out. Public service announcement to civilians. If you run into a veteran, you may indeed fuck around and find out. Listen, you stop those little shit. I'm gonna get medieval on your ass. Are you gonna bark all day? Little doggy, or are you gonna bite? Fuck with me, and we'll see who shits on the sidewalk. I'll kill you with my teacup. Sit your five dollar ass down before I make change. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? I'll rip out your eyes and piss on your brain. You're a gutless turd. You look like the vermin-ridden son of a bitch you are. Take a big step back and literally fuck your own face. Kiss my sweaty balls, you fat fuck. Fuck around and find out. Oh, I'm waving the black foot, the bullshit flag tonight baby we got an fafo fuck around find out for you this week and remember fafo is our involved stories in which we highlight stories in the news where civilians had to be taught a lesson by veterans this week i take you to baltimore maryland time frame september 6th 2022 just over a year ago. Title, he was bleeding so profusely that I couldn't help but react. Good Samaritan arrested after stopping violent attack and disarming a suspect. A U.S. veteran was arrested by officers from the Baltimore Police Department despite his saving a man's life during an attack in a local watering hole. Now, facing a record and prison time, the serviceman is opting to go to trial instead of accepting a plea deal. On Monday, July 4th, 2022, Lloyd Muldrow, 57, a Marine veteran, a member of the Marine Corps Security Forces, Presidential Security Detail, went to visit his friend, Marshall Collins, in Baltimore, Maryland. However, when he arrived at the meetup destination, his friend was in a violent altercation with another man, Wesley Henderson, according to the Washington Times. The fight was instigated by Henderson, who was upset when he saw Cullens dancing with his ex-girlfriend. Henderson allegedly pushed the man and pulled up his pistol, shouting, I'll kill everyone. Henderson had pistol whipped Collins, causing him to bleed from his forehead. However, Muldrow, the Marine veteran, seeing the gun, thought his friend had been shot. So, according to his account, he immediately took action by disarming Mr. Henderson and then helped Mr. Collins hold Henderson on the ground, neutralizing the attack. Muldrow said in an interview with the Washington Times, when I got there, I saw Cullens breathing profusely from the head. It looked like he had a gunshot wound to the forehead. He was bleeding so profusely that I couldn't help but react. I saw the guy with the gun in his hand, and I punched and knocked the guy down. We went down, and I secured the pistol for him. Muldrow said, 
I've taught Marines hand-to-hand combat for many years. I have disarmed several enemies as well as IEDs. My natural reaction was to do as I was trained for my country. After a law enforcement arrived and assessed the scene, officers asked for Henderson's weapon but never found it. Based on the testimony of multiple witnesses, which said they saw the gun pointed at him as the aggressor, Baltimore Police Department officers arrested Henderson, charging him with aggravated assault. According to Muldrow's defense counsel, a police body cam captured the officer saying, in Baltimore, it's quite common for the gun to be gone by the time it gets there. And that's what happened in this case. Though the gun in question was never secured, his defense client stated that the police found this, uh, didn't find the si- sidearm that was on his hip. Had they found it, police would have t- immediately took possession of it. Henderson, our 57-year-old Marine, was arrested. After an investigation, it was discovered the Marine had a concealed carry permit in Virginia, and he held a job providing security to federal facilities that required him to be armed. On the scene, officers thanked him for his service, but the supervising officer insisted he be arrested, stating he violated the law by being in possession of a gun within 100 feet of a public building and carrying a concealed weapon. Lloyd gets up and goes out, and he walks around like a free man for a while. And you hear a bunch of cops complaining that their lieutenant said to find out if this gun is legal, according to the defense attorney Stark. And it sucks because the police have discretion. You don't have to arrest at every single case. One first responder is seen talking to the officer questioning while Mojo is being arrested. The officer says if he were a cop, it would not be a problem. Then on body cam, the first responder said this guy probably saved someone's life and got arrested. The reported Good Samaritan serviceman is now fighting for justice. Muldrow faces a fine of up to $1,000 and imprisonment for up to one year if convicted of a misdemeanor. He would also lose his concealed carry license, a circumstance that could jeopardize his job as a safety and training manager at a federal facility. Maryland's gun laws are harsh and recently have become even more complicated. All right. That was this week's FAFO fuck around, find out where in this week's instance, we had a former Marine step in to help a buddy who was being attacked and had been pistol whipped. He disarmed the guy and got arrested for withdrawing his own firearm. Any thoughts, any questions? Salute. It's well, fucked know, up. Cops get mad when, you know, you do their job for them. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's one of those you're damned if you don't. Damned if you do moments, right? It's the catch twenty two. It's the and then there's there's some places that if you don't do something, you're looked down upon or you're questioned to no fucking avail. And 
dude does the right thing and he gets fucked over for it. Veteran or not, that's fucked up. I mean, what, what do you do? What do you do in a situation like that? You just let the guy get the fuck beat out of him, possibly killed. I mean, seriously. Pretty sure our training doesn't allow for that. Just yeah. throwing that out there. And I know the justice system is <laughs> fucked. The justice system is not perfect. It will never be perfect. But come the fuck on. There's a give and take everywhere, right? And this is one of those, give it to him. Let him have it. This is this is that moment. He doesn't need to be in jail. He should have been charged in the first place. <sighs> if it was a cop that done that, that was off, uh, that was, uh, off duty, guarantee you he'd be a hero. Yep. Right. And I'm not saying it's because he's a veteran. It could have been a civilian that done it, right? Somebody that's never been in service, but yet if it had been an off duty officer, I guarantee you they'd be a hero right now. Guarantee it. Keep us updated on that one if you can, War Dog. Of course, bro. Always. Alrighty. Well, I guess it's that time. And I did uh, put out a post earlier uh, about tonight's show. First and foremost, I want to thank everybody that's listening live right now. We we have a lot of listeners. We have a lot of people in chat. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being in chat. Uh, if at any time you guys have any questions, please ask them in the chat room. Uh, if I don't see them, Oink or Sergeant Wardog, I'm sure will. And they'll let me know and we'll get those asked. Uh, also, please be advised. It is about addiction. Uh, it could be about other stuff too, like suicide thought, suicidal thoughts or anything like that. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what's going to be talked about. You know how we are here. We don't censor shit. Um, we let and them we don't talk. Script it. Exactly. There is no script. Uh, tonight show <laughs> definitely ain't scripted. Let me tell you what. I mean, shit happened before the show and I was like, God damn. Um, but, uh, if at any time you do need to reach out to anybody, please, please do so. You've got Objective Zero. You've got Battle in Distress. You've got your people in chat. You've got anybody. Just reach out. It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, that that's how that's going to go. So without further ado, uh, we do have two tonight. And I'll introduce them, I guess, in the order that I knew them. Uh, proverbially, uh, first and foremost, it's uh, Mr. Ginger Texas. Uh, I guess we're gonna call you Ginger, or we're we gonna call you Gary because we never figured that out on the last time you were here. Well, they both start with G and I still take souls, so whichever way you want to go with it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, tell us a little bit about your military background if you don't mind. Um, let's see. So 2007, um, I went into boot camp, um, Disneyland, you know, it was Air Force, uh, so it was a short vacation. Um, but yeah, I went there, uh, to Lackland Air Force Base, um, October of 2007. And then, uh, of course I got out, um, and went to my tech school in Wichita Falls, Texas, um, which is basically in my backyard. Um, I was there for training for about six months and then, um, shoot, I got my orders and this is kind of funny because like, you know, all the States they're abbreviated and it said AK and like, I was telling myself, I'm like, this has got to be Arkansas. This is a misprint. And then one of my buddies that was in my class, he's like, dude, we're going to fucking Alaska. I said, dude, I'm done. 
And I was like, I remember calling my family. They're like, that's awesome. I'm like, do you realize what I'm about to go into? And I'm like, fuck this. So um, I got up there and um, they picked me up in the airport. And it was May of 2008. Um, and everybody's aware of how everything operates with the lack of sunlight. And then, you know, constant sunlight for the most part. Well, I got thrown into the constant sunlight. So I remember I got there, got checked in on base. And of course, my life just really changed. You know, I knew I was in the military and um, that was my first base and I was scared. And I remember laying laying in bed that night in the barracks and I didn't believe people about the whole sunlight thing. And then 11 o'clock rolls around at night and it's still out, you know, it's up. And I'm just like, what have I got myself into? <laughs> um, so I didn't That was just the beginning. Shit, night. come on now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that, and then I got introduced to, like, he got there. I don't know if you were already there when I got there. Either you were already there or you, you and Amy got there shortly after I did. Yeah. I got up here in June 2008. Okay. Yeah. So you're like a couple weeks after me. So I got there like May the 8th or something like that. I don't know if you did it. Well, I, I signed in after the air show. I wasn't that dumb. I got there before the air show, but I'm not signing in the, the, the fucking work a parking lot or some other bullshit details. So I was smart enough to just chill out and, and TLF for about a week until the air show was done. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's when I figured out what volunteer meant because I was the newest <laughs> airman in the shop. And I, dude, I got there one day and they're like, oh, you're going to be, you're going to help out with the air show. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and um, I wasn't real familiar with how everything, because you don't wear a cover on the flight line. And I wasn't told that. <laughs> I, I knew I was, you know, you, you rendered a salute to, um, you know, the base vehicles with the officers and, and whatnot. I knew that and understood that concept. But I kept wondering why I had my cover on. I'm walking on the flight line and everybody is giving me this look. And I'm like, am I the only like, redhead here on the base or what i couldn't figure it out or the only guy from texas because we're different for whatever freaking reason and um and then the um base commander rolls up and i see his plate he was a colonel and i see his plate and i salute him on the damn flight line like a dumbass <laughs> and it's like everybody's like dude you don't have to do that and i was like i'm turned 10 shades of every red possible and that's went through the day and finally kind of got comfortable to settle in. And, uh, uh, Oink was actually one of my supervisors and, uh, uh, you know, me and him got pretty close, um, over the years when, when I was out there and, um, I keep in contact with him and a couple other, um, of my peers from that shop. And, um, we've got a good relationship, man. And it's, he's an awesome guy. And he, he taught me a lot in, um, yeah, you ain't gonna lie to these folks, it. man. You're not getting paid. You ain't gonna lie to these guys. Come on. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no. Nah, but man, I, I, I do. I, I was, I was pretty proud to serve beside you, um, you know, and be your troop, and, um, you know, we had a lot of fun times together. Um, but I'll kind of dip back a little bit to, um, you know, back with my drinking. So, kind of before the military, I, I was, I was 21 when I joined, but. I really didn't start start drinking until I was good in high school and stuff like that. I think I I got hammered my senior year. Like I passed up all the parties. I was a pretty good kid, and uh, 
senior year, I got hammered once. This is like the after graduation party. And I was like, all right, whatever. And then kind of slowly started getting into it. And, you know, just being a young kid and that makes me feel so old saying that, but, um, <laughs> you know, partying and stuff. And, um, I had a pretty decent job. I was working in the family business and, um, I, it really wasn't a problem back then. I, I really had more more fight against it than anything else, and a little bit more responsibility. Um, but as when I was up there in Alaska, um, you know, I went, I did my time because I, I was a three year deal up there and uh, partied on base a lot. And um, I got in trouble one weekend. It was I was on call and um, a weekend duty. That's what it was. And um, if you're an honor, that's people that have to work past Friday. But um, <laughs> so I I made the choice to go out and get hammered, and I gambled, and they call me, call me in, of course. And I'm trying to remember back. I showed up like two or three hours late. Um, had somebody get get a ride, but I was I was hammered, and um, the uh, I can't remember who was on call that weekend for the supervisor the flight super but they uh i got into our shop and checked in and uh they could definitely smell it you know and um i, I got written up for it it was my first you know fuck up there and i got a, i think i got a lor and some other stuff but um got my ass shoot pretty good by by uh pappy uh he was our shop chief at the time and um so it kind of got worse after that. And I started, I started realizing or, you know, understand I, I was depressed and, and stuff like that. And, um, it, it became a coping mechanism. And in, I'm going to say it was June or July of 2000, uh, 2010. Um, Friday got out, um, we got out at a decent hour. Um, and then I met, I went off base in my vehicle to um i went to go shopping at a local mall there in downtown anchorage and anyways i met up with some buddies and we went to uh, we, we all met up and then they're like well hey we're just gonna start drinking and uh we're gonna hop some bars and i was like okay i'll just call a cab and uh, later on in the night so of course um two it's two o'clock in the morning and we're all just tore up and it was probably 20 something degrees outside. So what I did was I called the, the, uh, cab company. Cause you know, you know, you're old when you say you took a cab, it's not Uber, but, um, <laughs> so I waited on the cab for well, like, come on now. at least hour, they made the, the number easy up here in Alaska. All you have to do is keep hammering the fucking two digit. I mean, it's two, 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 two. We, we actually did that the night that, uh, we threw your ass in a cab and my wife kicked you out because uh, I was so hammered. That's all I kept doing was hitting the twos. And finally I could hear <laughs> over the voice of you know, the speaker, you know, the lady stop pressing the two. Oh, okay. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> yeah, I, that was one of the nights I'll never forget. God, that was so funny. Hey, you challenged me to you keep up with me and, and tequila and you lost. Yeah. I almost want to throw up thinking about that dude. God dang. That was the biggest mistake. But, um, yeah, so I, I cranked my heater up in the car and I lay my seat back and I, I got the heater on and everything. And it's like, next thing I know, there's a somebody banging on my window and I kind of just wake up 
I guess no big deal. And it's Anchorage PD. And um, they're trying to flashlight my eyes. I'm like, Jesus Christ, he just woke up from a heavy nap, you know? <laughs> and uh, they're like, why is your car running? And I already knew kind of what was going to happen, you know? And um, I didn't really panic. I was real calm and gave him my CAC. And I was like, well, you know, I called a cab and it never came. And I said, I was staying in my car to be warm. And um, so, of course, they arrested me because the, the uh, key was in the ignition, whatever. And then um, I really don't remember, like, the ride down to the – I remember getting into the jail or whatnot, but I was I was scared because I didn't have any family up there with me to help me on – in because it happened off base, so it was a civilian jurisdiction. So I was kind of panicking when I was in there, and I remember my acting – first shirt which was an absolute prick um he was i know he was happy to do it because there was some side things that were gone on and said that he had found out about so in a way he was it was his kind of way to get me uh, so he thought um so he picks me up and i don't say nothing to him and then um we go back to our main uh aid shop and uh flight chief and everybody's in there and i'm just like oh, fuck i don't know what i'm gonna do and uh, they didn't really chew me out, so to speak, so to speak. But um, I kind of knew that I, my enlistment would be denied and whatnot. Um, so my window was up. I want to say September because I was getting out October. But uh, they made me take a. Um, it, I went through an alcohol treatment. It's kind of like an outpatient deal. And I went there for like 30 days straight, I think it what it was. And, uh, of course, I didn't – I just went to satisfy everybody. You know, I didn't really give a shit. And uh, I was still drinking while I was in there. But um, that was a pretty gruesome deal because they were trying to get jurisdiction of the case, but um, they couldn't because uh, it was off base. Um, they were reaching really hard. Um, and I did have people that, you know, stood up for me as much as they could. Um, you know, there's multiple trips to see my commander and all that. And, um, the other first sergeant, he didn't like me because of another airman that I was friends with that, you know, he didn't care for, but, um, so they couldn't punish me technically, you know, but they took away my clearance. Um, and, uh, I remember signing the paperwork of, uh, my, re-enlistment denial and that's when it kind of that kind of hurt me a little bit because i didn't know for sure if i wanted to get out but i knew that at that point i'd have no choice so i'm automatically in panic mode i'm like i don't know what the fuck i'm gonna do when i get out i'm gonna have this on my record um so i got out um and it was weird because i was scared they were gonna keep me there and hold me past my enlistment date which would would be even worse because at that point i just wanted to come home and be with my family um, but it was weird because when I got home, they actually, my attorney called me and he's like, Hey, they're just going to do your case over the phone. So they literally had me on speaker in the courtroom up here in, or up there in Alaska. And they, they just told me all the stuff that I needed to do. And, and I ended up paying a lot of money for all that, um, paying the attorney or whatnot to fight it and, um, legal fees and all that. It was pretty brutal, but, um, that, that situation really started uh, a lot of this because I was 
when I got back, I didn't have the best job and it, it hindered a lot of my possibilities uh, to an extent, um, which led into heavier drinking and, and stuff like that. And um, it, it created a pretty bad path for myself. And I, I stopped, you know, giving a shit about everything and everybody else. And, um, but I'll kind of fast forward a couple of the years, but I, uh, so I ended up getting married and my depression's bad and my alcohol use is, is bad. And I wasn't really, um, the way me and her divorced it is kind of, I don't want to say that it was all hundred percent between both me and her for getting married. I still don't know why we did. Um, but we got divorced and that didn't really hurt me. I mean, I didn't cheat on her or anything like that, but I was just outbursts from drinking all the time. I mean, obviously nobody deserves to be, you know, put through that and whatnot, but, um, you know, we got, I got past that and then, um, finally got with a good job. I was, I'm doing, um, commercial fire alarm work and I, uh, let's see, 2020, no, 19. Um, I got with somebody that I've known for a really, really long time, you know, probably about 15 years or so. And we hit it off good and we got married and, uh, it got, everything was okay at first, you know, um, but it got bad again, um, alcohol use and whatnot. And, um, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is when we're caught up in this, um, you know, disease or, or alcoholism, whatever you want to call it, um, you're, you're blind to a lot of things and you're extremely selfish. And, um, you know, I put her through a lot of stuff and, um, I even told her, you know, cause she, you know, we ended up getting married and, you know, she's like, well, I gotta, I gotta, we gotta do something about this cause I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. And, um, so I went through an outpatient deal again. Um, and tried, I, at first I tried, but, um, us being separated kind of, you know, messed me up a little, even more, you know, and, um, so I just kind of just stopped giving a shit. And then next thing I know, she's wants to go through the divorce. And this was, it was final in September of last year. And so I moved out and, um, things got even worse. Um, so that, that was another part of the downfall. And that, that hit me pretty hard. I'm a lot better with it nowadays. Um, I don't, I don't try to reach out to her, um, or anything. I mean, I wish her the best. I don't hold nothing against her. Um, it sucks. It is what it is. I mean, I were really and truly honest. I wasn't really upset about the deal until I found out she got with one of my friends after, um, and I accidentally found that on Instagram out of all places that I'd hardly ever use. I don't even know why I just happened to get on there and she was like a mutual friend of somebody. Um, and I totally forgot to block her on there and I found that out and that hit me pretty hard. Um, but yeah, I've, let's see about four and a half months ago or four months ago. Um, I was living with a family member and I was going through the same crap. I was drinking heavy and they, they just, they could tell, um, I wasn't right. I wasn't myself because, you know, Oink will tell you, man, I was, I was always one of the ones that I, I love to laugh. I love to joke. I love to have a good time. Um, and I'm supportive and I'm, I've always been there for people. 
Um, but I wasn't that guy who kind of secluded myself from my family, um, my relationships, uh, friendships, my job, you know, production was, was just pissed for. And I actually lost a job because I was calling in and, um, actually, um, I got into it with somebody on the highway because y'all know how friendly people in Texas are <laughs> driving down the highway. Um, and, uh, that was kind of what did it for me. That was my second ride up and that was enough to terminate me. But yeah, this lady cut me off. Um, and they, uh, I remember they cut me off and I sped up next to them and I rolled the window down. I had some nice words to say. And then they rolled theirs down. They're like, well, we're going to call your company. And I was like, well, the number is on the fucking door. And they called and you know, the next day that was it. Um, so, you know, after that, that's, that's uh, cause I went without employment for like three months. Um, so, uh, about four months ago, I, my family, they had, you know, did an intervention and, um, you know, they were basically saying, Hey, we can't, can't be around you like this anymore. And, um, you've got to get some help. You know, this is, this is it. And, I know it was my grandmother out of all the people that sat in front of me and, you know, I'm, I'm extremely close to her, you know, closer to her and I'm a lot of people. And, um, she, you know, I'll never forget, you know, when she was like the way she looked at you, I could just tell the disgust on her face and, you know, she just, she felt so bad. Um, and, and she knew I was getting to the point to where I was helpless. Um, and, and that got me. So, I decided um, to go through with it, and what we we're trying to do was go through a a detox program, you know, like a, a rehab place. But I tried for God a couple weeks. Um, I even, you know, told the boss of my company, I'm like, "Hey, this is what I got going on," um, and I told them, you know, I was getting help, and they were fully supportive. You know, they still are, but. Um, I reached out to the VA and several other places and some places I couldn't even get into for at least a month. Um, so I'm, I started attending a group and it's, it's helped me a lot. Um, my support's been good and let's see, I've been sober. I have sober in July, July 22nd of this year. And I can tell you, man, moving, I'm, it's the best decision I ever made. And, um, I'm actually, you know, happy and I'm smiling now. I'm sleeping better. Um, I'm more of a functional person in society. Um, you know, I'm there for everybody when they need me. And, um, and, you know, just like we were talking about earlier before the show, it's like, um, you know, none of us can feel like it's ever too late because it's not, you know, every, every single day is a new beginning for us. Um, you just have to be tired of fighting it. Um, and, um, yeah, I thank God that every day that I haven't, you know, I've gotten up and not taken another drink or done anything else. And, um, you know, I'm super grateful, um, for the friends that I have made. Um, and I'm grateful for the friends I had to kick to the curb. And, you know, it's funny because, it's not funny, but there's a guy that actually, I didn't delete his number. I forgot all about it. And he called me the other day. I haven't talked to him in like four months. And, um, he never checked on me. Didn't give a shit where I was, whatever, you know, he's just a drinking buddy. And then all of a sudden he hits me up and he wants me to 
go rent a house with him and a couple other people. And I'm just like, you're a piece of shit, dude. <laughs> it's like you now you want to call me. I said, I've had so many people call me and ask how I'm doing. And you want me because this benefits you. Um, you know, and of course I turned it down, but at the same time, um, I didn't judge him because there's, those are behavior patterns that, that we inherit from the disease. Um, and we don't realize it. So it's our job now to, to help everybody that we can. And, um, be there for one another for support. Um, but yeah, I, and I can help anybody that needs help or have any questions that they can, you know, reach out and I can give them guidance or, or whatever it may be. Um, but I can tell you there is hope and, um, it's never too late, man. And one thing that we have to do is, especially as veterans is, man, you gotta let the pride go. Um, you can't handle it on your own. I mean, some people might be able to, uh, but we need help. Um, and it's not, it, it doesn't question your man card or revoke it. Um, for doing that, but you can be helped, man. And, um, there's plenty of resources out there. Um, and there's definitely a better way of life than, than living that way. Um, you know, like I was telling everybody earlier, it's like, there's so much that we revolve our lives around just so we can give excuses to drink. Um, you know, the whole World Series thing. That's the first one I've been sober in any type of sport event in years. I can't even remember the last time. Um, and it's it felt like an accomplishment. And I, I didn't even think about it until the other day when um, when the Rangers won. I was like, I felt every emotion in there because, like, you know, you're drinking, you can feel stuff like that. You know, you're just like, oh, hell yeah, they won. You know, it's over. You know, you, you kind of felt all those emotions over the years of being let down. And everybody knows, like, Link's a Bears fan, and we have a similar outlook with that stuff because I'm a Cowboys fan, so I get let down a lot, you know. <laughs> and so, but we would have we would have been like, you know, if they would have lost, you know, if I would have been in the state of mind at drinking, I'd be like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to get messed up um, and just use that as an excuse to get messed up and, you know, call into work the next day or – Whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, and, no, I mean, I, I, what's up? I was just going to say your the, the story sounds familiar because I've heard it a thousand times over, right? Like it's, everybody has their ex- own experiences. Everybody has their unique experiences, but they're all the same in the sense that well, well, Leslie said it earlier and I want to get Leslie's story here in a minute, but one's too much, you know, that, that story. And that was not uh, too many. Yeah. And cause I was there with pills a few years ago, but it wasn't a mental thing. It was a physical thing for me. And it addiction is fucked up. Like it's so fucked up <laughs> on so many levels. Yeah, it is. It and is. it there's a point in which you're not you're not wanting that high anymore, but you can't live your life without that high, whether it's beer or pills or drugs or whatever, right? And 
I, I know a lot of people are like, they're seeking that next great high. No, no, that's not it. That's ask any addict nine times out of 10. They're not seeking that great high again. Yeah. Maybe the kids. That's, that's probably true for a lot of the kids, right? Like the teens and, and twenties. Right. But right. after you've been in it for a few years, you don't care about the high you you're, you're there for not remembering the bullshit, forgetting your woes, forgetting your past, forgetting your demons for that. What? 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. However long your high last, if it's cocaine, I'm sure it's like five years. Right. Um, but, but, um, and it's not easy. It's not as easy as put it down and quit. And sometimes you can't just put it down and quit because you're going to die like that. Right. Especially with alcohol, um, and and pills. Pills is another one. Don't, don't fucking do it. Kids don't cold Turkey. that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking wean, wean like a motherfucker. Um, but before I keep, before I keep going down a rabbit hole, Leslie, uh, if you don't mind a little bit about your military history and your story, and then we'll, somehow combine your two <laughs> stories and we'll interview you both. <laughs> um, well, I uh, come from um, the spouse side of it. Uh, my husband has been in the military active duty for 19 years. Um, so I have been a spouse for 19 years. Um, some days I think it's harder than being active duty, but I <laughs> wouldn't know cause I'm not on that side. Um, but I, um, have been in, you know, the military, moved around a bunch of times, you know, before I met my husband. Um, I, I did, um, love and enjoy to drink. Um, at the beginning it was kind of a social thing. And then I realized just how much I really enjoyed it. Um, through my husband's military career, you know, I, I made some sacrifices and some choices on my own. Um, I worked for the first bu- uh, part of his career. And then I decided, um, we decided to have a baby and I decided to give up the career for stay at home mom situation. Um, and slowly through the years, um, it just kind of came a thing. And I <clears throat> realized that I could be at home and still drink and do my mom thing. Um, fast forward, you know, to the last four or five years, I had a very bad hysterectomy gone wrong. And that made me spiral even further, I guess, to kind of make a very long story short. I, um, the last couple of years, I would say minus 23 and 22, I, um, the very last year of my addiction being the worst, um, I realized that I was going down a very, very deep, dark hole. I always knew in the back of my head that I had a very, very bad problem. And my parents and my family would always say, you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. You got that addiction gene in you. It is runs rampant in our family. You are going to be in big trouble if you don't nip it in the ass now. And I knew in the back of my head, but wasn't willing to admit it, that I sure shit. I was long past that, you know, becoming a problem. I was a problem. And, you know, I, I try and tell a lot of people that I, I did not have many consequences from my life that were on paper. I did not have, you know, an arrest. I wasn't, you know, ever taken to jail. I didn't lose my driver's license. I, you know, but I had a lot more consequences from my drinking that were more tangible than things on paper. I lost 
hours and hours of, of time with my boys that I'll never get back. Because in the last two years of my, my addiction, I, I isolated and I stayed at home. I did not want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. And my last I'm sure COVID didn't my, help with that matter either, you know? No, oh, no. And when we were stationed in Barksdale, Louisiana, it was like when 2020 hit and COVID shut down, shit, Mike was home, everybody was home, and we had block parties on base. I mean, it was great. And that surely, you know, sent me even further. And so in um, the summer of 21, I, after literally drinking um, 12 to 18 beverages a day, 12 to 18, I would get up and I would get up with just enough time to get my boys fed and dressed and their teeth brushed and on the bus. And I would go back to bed for four or five hours and I would get up and I would go down to the shop at the local shop at our base. And the manager there knew me very well. In fact, she would pride herself in telling me the amount of um, alcohol that she had there for me that she ordered. They all knew me. And I mean, shit, that was embarrassing enough. And I would um, then come home and I would drink until one or two. And this was a, 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 pattern that I would repeat day in and day out for weeks, months, uh, I mean, tons and tons of tons of my time wasted on my back porch, chain smoking and drinking. And in the summer of, of 21, I finally woke up and I said, I cannot live like this anymore. I can't, I can't do it. And I told Mike, I said, you know what? I need help. And I said, and I could not do it on my own. I said, I'm not going to be able to get sober here at home. I have tried it. I had tried to stop drinking on the weekdays. I tried to just drink on certain days. I tried to only drink three drinks or buy one six pack and I couldn't do it. I failed every time. And I told him my husband and we've been married almost 20 years. I said, I am going to have to go away. I'm going to have to go to inpatient. And I, we found a facility that took our insurance and I only had to pay $250 for my stay of 30 days in uh, Tennessee and it was some of the most enlightening, amazing moments of my life. And I, you know, truly believe that once you dig down deep and realize that the reasons for which you are numbing yourself, because like it was mentioned before, you know, you're not looking for that high shit. I, I could get drunk, but man, at that point, drunk was no fun anymore. And I just wanted to just be in a different universe because I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to think about it. I just, I was happy and nothing bothered me. Nothing fazed me. But once you get down to, you know, deep in and you figure out what's going on and you can tackle those demons, you know, you would be surprised how easy it is to not want to pick up or take a pill, you know, pick up a drink. And, you know, it, it's it, like Gary said, you know, it, it, you don't, I don't regret the decision. I don't regret it one bit. And I, you know, I, um, I do still struggle. I, I hit two years sober, um, October 15th of this year. Um, it seems like a lifetime ago, but yet still feels like yesterday when I got on that plane and I was so sick to my stomach that I couldn't even fucking drink my last drink before I, I was officially done. And I was so mad at myself. And the guy at the inpatient treatment facility said, we have never had anybody come into our facility and blow uh, all zeros. And I said, well, I guess I'm a first for everything. But, <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I truly believe that people need to feel that they deserve better and feel that they are worth, you know, fighting for and that the shame involved around addiction and the barriers around the shame and addiction and feeling like you can't, you know, you're not worth it. And, you know, fuck everybody because you are worth it. And it is possible. Like Gary said, it is absolutely 150% possible. And you just got to know your worth and you got to dig down deep and you got to find it and you got to make it happen because, 
you know, life is too short. We don't have much time left on this, on this planet to live unhappy. And so, you know, yes, you know, every day is a challenge being sober, but it is a challenge that I'll take 10 times over again than being plastered and missing out on, on moments that I'll never get back with my kids ever or my family. So there is how there is help out there and there are uh, plenty of resources and I'm willing to help anybody that I <clears throat> can. If anybody needs help or assistance, I know a lot of people in the recovery field, um, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta take that first step and, and you gotta admit that, yep, I sure do fucking have a problem. And if I can't get my shit straight, it's, it's not, it's not going to get any better. It will not get any better. It will only continue to get worse and you will only lose more and more things. So that is my story. <laughs> and well, I'm sticking just, to it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll well, let me just... start off by saying with, with Gary and Leslie, I know you both. And when I heard obviously Gary's story, you know, I seen yours on Facebook. I'm like, there's no way she's going to come on and talk about it. Cause you're, you're like you say, kind of shy, but I mean, at the same yeah. time, I think your story has a lot more, I won't say a lot more, but has uh, the other side of the factor that, you know, you're a mother with two kids and you know, your husband's always deploying we don't th- sometimes think about that. You know what I'm saying? On, on that side of the coin where, you know, some of the stress and stuff that you guys are going through, you're facing some of the same challenges, right? And that stress factor is always going to be there. And oh, absolutely. how we cope with it, it was one of those, you know, one of those things we choose to deal with. It. And we chose alcohol. I mean, I still get pissed off at work and come home and grab a drink because I'm pissed off at the idiots because I still work at the same place. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, 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 I mean, you deal with the same idiots over and over for, you know, 20 some years. Uh, You you kind of find a way to release it. But I mean, the thing is, is, is like I said, I'm, I know Gary, you as an individual, when you were working for me, I can see your drive. I can see your passion. I can see your dedication. And that's why we never gave up on you. Leslie, I mean, we shared kids' birthdays together, you know, oh, yeah. our kids together. Yeah. So to see your story come out, I'm like, I'm fucking proud of her. You know, proud of you, proud of Gary. And that's why I wanted to get you guys on because you guys are taking two different routes. You know, Gary's family got him into AA. You knew that you couldn't do it on your own and you had to go somewhere else to get away from it. So that's the kind of stories we're trying to, I was trying to get here in here tonight is that there's different options, different ways, different treatments that works for you, but whatever sure. does work for you, stick with it. You guys well, recovery it. is not a, is not a one-all, you know, there's not, no. there's not a book, a rule book that anybody has to follow as far as recovery goes and, and whatever works for you works for you, whatever's going to work, then fucking do it because it, there's not a rule book. So you got to find what works for you and, and, and go that route. You know, you, you can't can't follow a rule book. It won't work. Nope. Everybody is an individual. Yeah. And right. really quick for those that are just tuning in, it is Barracks Talk. It is DVRadio.net. You're not on some <laughs> TLC radio station <laughs> listening to some money grabbing bullshit. Uh this is this is real. <laughs> it's it's not scripted. It's actual people telling their stories. Um yeah. I gotta tell everybody that's listening, uh the reason we didn't have Ginger on earlier when you seen him in the chat room and when we were shouting him out that we was proud of his, of him being sober. And, and I told Oink this and I, and I told Ginger this when uh, he was on the show, got a, but about a month ago now, uh, after the show, we, we all had a, had a after show discussion and we got close <laughs> and we, we, we might have grabbed each other a little bit, but, um, I did tell him <laughs> that the reason I didn't have him on 
right then and there to tell his story was because one, I wanted him to have at least 90 days sober. The reason being is it takes about 90 days for your chemicals to get back in normal quote unquote, uh, rotation where you're, where you're not cloudy. Your, your mind's not cloudy. You, you don't have anything in your system whatsoever. You can think clearly. You can speak clearly. You can see the world from another point of view, the real view, the view you should be seeing. And the other reason is because, well, 90 days, 90 days is, is I told Doink, I said, I want to make sure that he's serious about it because you can tell me you're serious about it all day long. I've seen it a hundred times and I know it's going to happen, but nine times out of 10, somebody's going to relapse. And I'm not, I'm not putting you down for that. Anybody that's listening. Right. We've talked about this with the DV farm. Six has been on here and talked about it. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But we want to make sure that when you come on, right, that you're not going to relapse the week after. And then everybody's going to be like, well, why did you have him on if he relapsed? And why you got to show up? And blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, right. And, and that's exactly why we waited this long. And I, I told Gary, I was like, hey, hey man. This is how it is. This is how it's going to go. Uh, so, um, but after that, I'm proud of both of you. Proud of you taking the responsibility because a lot of people don't want to take responsibility in the day's world. Um, it's hard and I understand it. I've been there. I don't know what it is with alcohol or I don't know what it's like with alcohol. But like I said earlier, I've been there with pills even though it was a physical aspect, it's just as fucking hard to get fucking clean, get fucking sober. Um, I done the dumb route and took cold turkey. Don't fucking do that, kids. You can fucking die. Um, <laughs> I mean that. <laughs> well, it goes um, with any addiction, though, too. I mean, you think about, yep. like, we were t- talking after the show the other night when, you know, Recoil was mentioning nicotine. Mm-hmm. You know, you quit smoking for so long, and then all of a sudden you deploy, you get around somebody that's doing it and you know, you're away from your normal day-to-day activities and you're like, well, one's not going to hurt. And then you go right back to smoking again or chewing mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. So like, like I said, everybody's is different. So yeah. what's working for one person, it's not going to work for the other. Exactly. And that's why I want to get both of them on this show is to show the two different routes, two different, even though it's the same addiction, you know, they had different things and different avenues they, that they took to try to beat it. And it's two different walks of life and it's a male and it's a female. So you got the best of both worlds. And I mean that in a, in a, what's the word complimentary way. I don't mean that in a negative or whatever fucking money keyword grabbing (laughs) bullshit, algorithmic fuck shit corporate's got going on. Uh, I actually mean that. Um, for both of you, I do want to ask you though, um, because we did talk about this a little bit before the show. And I think both of you brought it up. Uh, I think Leslie brought it up and you did say, uh, the social aspect of drinking. And, and that's a thing that has always bothered me. Um, cigarette commercials got banned in, in what, 1971, something like that. Can't do any more cigarette commercials. Let's nix that. It's going to kill you. Can't do that. Bad, 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 bad. Slap your wrist. Bad, right? But drinking, it's cool. 
It's, it's social. You can do it with anybody. Just don't drive. Drinking's awesome. It's sexy. It's cool. It's fun. Let's do it. Let's advertise it to all these kids, all these adults. It's a fun time. Right or wrong? Well, like I was, <laughs> what, like I was saying earlier, you know, when I was in treatment, the heroin addict looked at me straight in the face and said, I feel sorry for you. And when I asked her why, she said, because for your drug of choice, you don't have to work or fight to find it. She said, it's everywhere. She said, it's at grocery stores, gas stations, baby showers, birthday parties. It is every, every function, everywhere you go, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was right. I mean, it is, it's absolutely so, so completely socially acceptable, normal. And and in fact, I think more days, more now than, than not these days, it's, well, what, what the hell, what the fuck, what, where's alcohol? If you don't have it, if you have a sober event, people look at you like you're, you're insane. And, you know, we just, we got to change, we got to change that. We got to change it because that's just, that's just not doing anybody any good. You know, when I got married to my ex, when I got married to my ex-wife in 2010, we had a bar, but it wasn't an open bar. You had to go by yourself. Nobody drink, not one person. Which really surprised me because there were some heavy fucking drinkers at my wedding. Like, because because I went to I, I was in Iraq with a few of them, and I was like, "Wow, nobody's nobody's getting a drink." I didn't get a drink. Nobody got a drink. But every party we was at, everybody was drinking. It didn't matter who it was, where it was. It didn't matter what it was. It could be wine coolers. People had to have a fucking drink. Mm-hmm. Wine cooler. I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so stupid. Oh, back in the day, that yeah, that brings me back. But it, <laughs> it is. It's so true. I mean, shit. When I absolutely, I had my hysterectomy, and I was emergency surgery was like septic on the verge of dying. Once I was in the clear, I had Mike bring alcohol into the hospital to give me. When we were rushed by ambulance with my eight month old baby to Lubbock from Cannon Air Force Base, I had him bring alcohol to the hospital. And how sad is that? How fucking sad is that? I mean, that's, oh my God. Leslie said, a party up in her. (laughs) You know, and you had mentioned earlier too about, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Damn it. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know. (laughs) God damn it. You know, that's okay. So speaking of my train of thought, you know, you had mentioned, you know, about how you 90 days, you need that out of the chemical, all that out of your system. I tell you what, I am sober two years and I still struggle with things. Mm-hmm. My first 30 days in treatment, I could not remember one girl's name. I called her three different names. There are things that I don't remember. My brain will forever not be the same. I mean, it fucks you up left and right, up and down. My health was so bad. My liver enzymes were so bad. I mean, it, it literally, you you don't realize just how bad. And so you finally are free from it. And you're like, Oh my God, it's all connecting. The dots connect. Now I can remember, I know what this person's name is. Like mm-hmm. you don't realize it. until you're actually steady sober for a certain amount of time that, wow, that was fucking me up way more than I realized. Yeah. I was, <sighs> I'm, I'm there now. I don't remember a lot of stuff that happened from 14 to was it 17 or 18? Oink? Yes. 17. Okay. 17, 17 or 18, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of shit. And my mom's like, yeah, you done this, said that. And whatever, where's the video? <laughs> like, I, I don't remember. And it's not like bad stuff, right? It's just little things. It's, 
couldn't fucking tell you night from day, Adam from Eve. Right. Um, now, so right. other than the social aspect and obviously the addictive aspect, was there anything that pushed you to drink on days that you didn't want to drink, whether it was stress of the kids of him being, not being there, uh, just daily life. Same for you. Well, Ginger. For me, it was just, it was hating myself. I hated myself. I had lost all purpose in my life when I decided to give up a career, stay home with the boys. And, and then I just felt that I was no longer, you know, employable and I absolutely lost my purpose in life. And I thought I was just garbage and alcohol was the only way that would make me feel better. Mm-hmm. And, or make you forget. Yeah. Yep. What about you, Gary? Yep. Yeah, my depression um, was a pretty big deal with drinking, and um, it became a hobby to me. And um, it, it became something that I did um, on my own when I secluded myself from the world, um, you know, when I was coping and uh, doing my own thing and, um, you know, going through counseling and everything else. I never would pay attention to that professional, you know, a therapist. And uh, even though it was something that uh, they went to school for and uh, got degrees in, um, it, it was something that um, I thought I could do on my own and everybody was uh, full of shit. And it wasn't me that had the problem. It was everybody else. Um, you know, and alcohol was just something that I did when I was bored and passed the time. And uh, it took over and dominated a lot of my my daily living with uh, spending time with friends and family. You said it, Gary, boredom. Yeah, boredom. boredom. God. And that was one of the hardest things too about recovery is like, fuck, what do I do? What do I do with my hands? How do I go through the, the, the next five, six hours sober? How do I, how do I do this? You know, and I wanted to too, if it was okay, touch real quick on, on going into treatment like I did with inpatient. I remember being terrified for weeks, finding a place. And I was so worried about this cult-ish type thing about getting into treatment, finding a place. And not being, you know, kept there, or stuck there or being, you know, having a Bible or Jesus or Christian or whatever type of religion shoved down my throat. And I wanted to just say, put it out there that there are facilities out there in the United States. And I can speak for the one I went to called Journey Pure by the river in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, that offered everything under the sun to art therapy, music therapy, equine therapy, outdoor therapy. And it wasn't just hitting the Bible and, and no offense to anybody who is religious and who cho- chooses to go that way. But I'm just saying that there are places out there that offer everything under the sun that you could not even imagine that absolutely was so fulfilling. And um, it, it was, like I said, some of the best 30 days of my life. Um, so I wanted to make sure that people were aware of that as well. I'm actually glad you brought that up, Leslie, because that's something that's bothered me for years with the majority of rehab centers, right, is the 12 step program, blah, 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 the higher power. I, a lot of court orders will not allow you to finish the 12 step program if you don't seek a higher power. What the fuck? Oh, I, yeah. I, and nope. Yep. That's, look, I'm not religious. You're right. I am not religious. I don't like religion. I don't believe in that. I don't doubt anybody that does. I understand why people do. I grew up in the fucking Bible Belt. I had to go to fucking church. I get it. I understand. (laughs) That being said, what about those of us that don't do the higher power shit? I don't need that in my life to say, 
I want to live till tomorrow at least, right? I don't need that in my life to to want to push myself. I have other ways of doing that. I don't need a figment of my imagination that lives in outer space that I can't see, you know, to, to pray to. Right. And like I said, I'm not taking that away from anybody at all. If that's what you do. Awesome. If that's what gets you through life. Awesome. I love you for it. More power to you. But why are we in 2023 in a day and time where we have to, even though it's supposed to be separation from church and state, why are we obligated to bend our will to a higher power just so we can say we're sober for a fucking court order or to pass a rehab center? Why? Why is that even a fucking thing? And it shouldn't be. It, it should be an optional thing. It absolutely right. should be. And I, and I know that there were many forms, you know, of fellowship type deals that they explored with the patients where I was at, you know, and they didn't push any particular one on any one of us, um, you know, and we were left to our own devices as far as how to figure out what, you know, and for me, there was never, <clears throat> never a higher power. You know, mm-hmm. it was what I had to figure out what could get me through to the next day. And for me, that was, that. The, it was primarily if not everything, my boys, yeah. you know, and my husband, you know, and then, you know, outside that neutral, you know, family, and there is no higher power and there is no, you know, God or Jesus in, in my life. And, and that's not to say that that won't work for somebody else. And like you said, just right before I interrupted you, it, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not my way of, of life or, or doing the sober recovery journey. So there is that option too. So you got to find what works for you. I cannot tell people enough. You have to find what is going to fucking get you to do this and keep you doing it. Period. Exactly. I can tell you why they go towards the 12 step program and higher power. Um, because for one, it's easily accessible and it's open to anybody. Um, now I'm not saying that, um, it's effective to have people from both sides of the spectrum, whether you're religious or not. Um, um, but it, it's just the program was based off religion back in the 30s. And I think that's why it's um, so highly recommended because um, AA does welcome anybody. And you can be an atheist or or you uh, are Christian or whatever you may believe in. Um, but it's open. But uh, we definitely need more um avenues and um a big problem is people coming in and and just getting papers signed i I feel like they're pretty lenient especially uh here in texas um pretty much all you have to do is get a signature um but you know if you fuck up and slip then um that's your ass and you're gonna pay for it um it's just more of a, a cya to people but some people will go in there um just to show face and get their paperwork done and 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 i don't blame them but um it's it's more based for serious people who want to really come in and um the help is there if you want it man you just you've got to go after it and you've got to commit to it It, it's a job this disease isn't going anywhere we have to work for it unfortunately um and that's just the way our brains are wired and a different variety. And, you know, with, as far as the court ordered um, rehabbers, as I maybe would say is, you know, I truly believe that if you're not doing this for the right reason, because you want it and not because somebody else wants it, it's not going to work because I couldn't do it for my fucking husband. Right. And I sure shit couldn't do it for my kids. And until I wanted it for myself is when it finally stuck. 
So you got to find, you you, got to do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, earlier, I'm trying to remember now because I lost my train of thought when Leslie spoke (laughs) up about that. Um, I'll let a wink take her for a second because I just lost all the fucking thoughts. Like my mind just went fucking. Half timer's a bitch, ain't it? I might have, I might have, I might have just fucking imbibed I'm on sorry. something. Nah, you're good. Nah, you're good. No, I think that's that. That is, you're spot on with that. If if you don't want it, then nobody's gonna make you do it. You know, you could say you're doing it for your family or your boys or whatever, right? But if you yourself do not want that help, there's nothing they could do to make you go. To get it, you know what I mean? Yeah, and and I remember what I was going to say and ask now. Earlier, Gary had brought up that when he went through uh, the bullshit with the the Air Force, and I call it bullshit because it it is bullshit. It's it's not something that really helps you on most levels. Some people it does. I'm not going to deny that. And other people, they do exactly what Gary said he'd done. And he went through the motions. He told them what they needed to hear and he got out of there. Right. Sorry, guys. I have to cut it short. Uh, I have I got called in an emergency call with work. Um, and congratulations, Leslie. I'm super proud of you. Keep kicking ass. Um, and, and those out there listening, man, don't keep your head up. Um, I mean, if, if I can do it, anybody can. Um, we, we just have to set our pride aside um, and, and see that there is a there is more to life than than uh, drinking and coping, man. There's there's ways you can handle it um, and, and live a much better life. It's possible. Um, just keep your head up, man, and uh, keep going and just do it one day at a time. Uh, and all the DV folks, thanks again for having me on the show, man. I love you guys, and uh, I look forward to every Saturday and, and doing this with y'all and, and being a listener, man. I appreciate everything y'all do. Absolutely, Thanks, man. But, uh, Proud of you, man. We love you, brother. Be careful. And yes, you are welcome back on, even though you hung up on me in the middle <laughs> of my fucking sentence. Fuck you, Gary. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you in the ass. I hope you take that bag of dicks and just sit on them and it goes right up that fucking rectum. And fucking, fucking gates that asshole. I hope it's so fucking wide a bowling ball fit in that Well, you know, we, can, we, can, we teach them how to work oh, on things, but we can't God. teach them etiquette, I guess. You know what? No. <laughs> my study like, is what he's been white knuckling bag of dicks his entire life. <laughs> True statement. Leslie's like, what the fuck did I get into? I did not sign up for this when I came on this goddamn show. Oh, I love it. (laughs) No. So, yeah, (laughs) is is that something that you experienced? Not you personally, because obviously you got sober. But did you see that happening while you were in rehab? Or is it something you didn't pay attention to uh, people going through the motions? Oh yeah. I had my roommate. She was there because the judge said you either go to 30 days rehab or you go to jail. And she said, Hell, I'm going to take the the easy way. Sure. And you know, it didn't fare well for her Mm -hmm. um, at all. So um, yeah, there were more than just my roommate that, you know, were there just going through the motions because they didn't want to go to jail. Right. So, you know, they, they weren't in it really to be in it. And um, you know, it was very obvious that they weren't, you know, going to, be successful. Um, so, you know, and there was also a couple of heroin addicts that were there to, you know, get on Suboxone, um, for a very short time. And then they would, you know, duck out before their 30 days just to be able to lower their tolerance to the heroin again. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's scary. 
Um, but all walks of life, that's for sure. But I did see all walks of life, mm-hmm. you know, able to get sober and I still and clean. And I mean, I still talk to some of my friends from rehab still two years later. who are still yeah. kicking ass. And um, so it, it is it is possible. It is so possible to Absol- do it, to get, sober, to get sober, get clean and stay sober and stay clean. Yeah. And. So- I don't know if you want to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, you can say, move the fuck on. Let's, let's get the fuck out of that. <laughs> Did you have any moments while that you can remember while you were drinking or during rehab that you were like, I'm done. I, I'm done with life. Let's, let's fucking end it. I did not have any of those moments during the, my stay in treatment, but prior to my you know departure for treatment, I did. And I'll never forget my sister saying, Leslie, it's not that you want to die. It's that you want this, this pain to be done. You want it to be done. It is. And, and she said, you know, it, what you're thinking of wanting to do is a very permanent, you know, solution to a very temporary problem. Exactly. Um, you know, and I lost my brother to suicide, um, in 2003 and he was a very heavy, um, drug user and, um, I think that that has always remained in the very far back of my mind, you know, at those times when I, that did cross my mind is that how I've, I've been personally impacted by it, you know, and watching my, my parents and my sister and his daughter and how, you know, I, I could never do that to my family after living it. Um, so I never did make any attempts, you know, the thoughts were there, but, um, mm-hmm. I, I never did, um, take, you know, an attempt on my life, um, so I'm proud of you for um, that. I really am. Uh, as you said, you. The, the thoughts are there. I think, I think a lot of us have those thoughts, but we never tell anybody. I mean, I've been down that fucking dark ass, never ending tunnel that had no light at the end. Um, especially after what happened to me in 2010. And then it just fucking unraveled from there. I was there for a while. And my mom thinks I don't, appreciate what she's done for me because i credit dv a lot um but if it wasn't for dv i probably wouldn't be here and that's not taking anything from my mom at all because i owe her more than my life and i'll never be able to repay that uh she is my caregiver and she has been since 2011 um but i think that's something that is pussyfooted around way too much. We beat around the bush way too much, whether you have attempted it or not. I think it does still need to be talked about, right? That you've had suicidal thoughts, especially, especially when you're addicted to something, because like I said earlier, and you even said earlier, after I had mentioned it, you, you uh, elaborated it on, Oh, elaborated on it. Some (laughs) that, you're not seeking that high anymore. You're doing it to cover up the pain, to cover up the thoughts, to yeah. cover up the memories, to cover it, up the it's past. No longer fun. It's not fun anymore. Right. And yeah. what's the next step? Honestly, it's it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um yeah, it's suicide. It absolutely is. And it's it's well, and you just see no other way. You see right. no other way. You you think to yourself that there's no possible way that I could live any other way, that I am so far beyond health. Mm-hmm. That this is it for me. This is my life. And um, that that there's just no no way out. There's and, no way out. And the irony is that you also feel alone and that you're the only one that's had to deal with any of that. Yes. But you're yes. not. 
you're not. There's so many people, whether they're your friends, they're your family, they're the person at the grocery store, they're your clerk at the liquor store, right? They could be anybody that that you know on a daily basis has probably went through, if not the exact same experience, they went through through something similar. And man, you couldn't have said it better. Honestly, they're like I had mentioned before you went live that they're, you know, they're when I shared public or not publicly on social media for all, you know, tarnation to know my one year uh, anniversary for my recovery, my sober anniversary. And there were, you know, I can't even say how many people reached out to me Mm -hmm. that I would have never known were suffering in silence. And, you know, you just you just never know. I mean, life is so hard nowadays. And it's just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just feel bad. And I, I want everybody out there to know that there's, there's no shame in what's, what's going on. And the fact that, that so many people think that a drug addict or an alcoholic doesn't deserve the same compassion and empathy and understanding as somebody with depression or, you know, heart disease or, it's an, it's an illness. It's, it's been scientifically proven. It's an illness mm-hmm. and they should be treated as such. I think there is a difference though with some addictions, right? It's 2023 and you go and try heroin for the first time. Well, I didn't know I was going to get addicted. Well, Not true. <laughs> but then you've got alcohol and you've got prescription pills and alcohol. Like I said earlier, is so glorified in society. Oh god, yeah. The fucking bitch that was standing up there during fucking Rona lockdown. Go get you some piña coladas. Bitch, that's your fucking really? Shut the fuck up. I wanted to fucking throat punch that bitch through the goddamn White House goddamn logo <laughs> so fucking hard. Like fuck that bitch. And I don't call women bitches often, but she is a bitch. That redheaded fucking bitch. That's what she <laughs> he said. Often. He didn't say I don't call them. He said I don't call them. <laughs> if they deserve it, I'll fucking say it. Um, and you know. When your presidential staff is telling you to go get a fucking alcoholic beverage, you've got a fucking problem. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. not just. And I totally agree with you, though, on the heroin well, it's and, better than his and the son cocaine. Grab a crack bite. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> true. But a lot of people, you know, they'll delve in these things thinking that they're going to be okay. It's mm-hmm. legal, it's socially acceptable. Why not? Let me try it, whatever, not knowing anything about it. And then the next thing they know, it has snuck up and bit them in the ass. Yeah. You know, I. So I absolutely agree with you on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people that I've known that have had scripts, they get them taken away or they go through rehab and they're fine for a week or two, but they relapse, but they can't get their scripts anymore because nobody's going to give them to them. What are they right. to turn to? It's either street drugs or alcohol. And I can't really yep. blame them for turning to street drugs. Cause I'm going to tell you what, I had a moment when I was on pills, I was like, this shit ain't doing nothing. And I, I, you can ask a few people, I was seriously considering doing some stuff. Like it was that bad. And I don't blame oh. people when you're on prescription pills. Cause you know, you can only take so many prescription pills, just like you can only drink so much. Right. Right. <laughs> and you need right. something. Well, and you know, I'll ahead. tell you what, you know, towards the end of my, you know, addiction there, I was seeing a pain management specialist for a, a back issue uh-huh. and I was mixing both the Percocet and the alcohol. And I'll tell you what, 
I found it so much harder to kick that than I ever found alcohol. So I commend you 150% for sitting on the other side today because I can't imagine what it would have been like had I continued down that road, you know, just not giving a shit. Um, so I, I commend you 100%. I, ooh, that's yeah. some tough. I appreciate it. And I don't know so. how many people know exactly what I was on, but I was on two type of oxy every four hours. I was on morphine every four hours. I was on perk every five or six hours. And I was on a daily fit or it might've been 48 or 70. I can't remember. Fentanyl patches. So I was taking anywhere from 20 to 30 pills a day with a fentanyl patch for for about three and a half years, give or take. And It was getting to the point where I would wake up, take my pills, and about an hour and a half later, I was getting sick. Like, it was bad. Like, dry heaving, smell of food turned my stomach. Like, I just, I was like, what the fuck? And one day, I told my mom, I was like, I don't give a fuck how much I beg. I don't give a fuck how much pain I'm in. Don't give me shit. And she asked me quite a few times, are you sure? Are you positive? And she knew what I was doing because she was like, I wanted to stop you a few times, but I was wanting to wean you down too. But I, she was like, I was afraid to say anything at the same time, but she was trying to wean me off silently. Does that make sense? Um, oh yeah. And she was like, when you said that, I was like, okay. And uh, honestly, the first two fucking weeks, fucking horrible, fucking sucked. The cold sweats, the fucking dry heaving, the night sweats, you name it. I went through it. (laughs) Fuck that, you know, and I don't understand people that do want that for an high because there are the, the, the very minute minority that wants to do it for the high. I'll admit that. But why? why I don't understand it at all because I've been there and it's not fun the next day isn't fun you don't remember shit and I'm sure it's the same way with the alcohol because you said earlier you don't remember a lot of stuff and I don't understand why you want to have that hangover or that puking or that fucking that the, the zombiness right because it's called a zombie cocktail if you're on pills so why the fuck do you want to continue that when you see what it does to you and you see what it does to your family why do you want that next high because like i said there is a minute minority that wants that and i've i've got my psychology and biology fucking certificate <laughs> i i don't fucking get the psychology behind <laughs> that like what the fuck like Maybe I'm missing something. I'm definitely missing something because I don't understand it. Uh, I, I'm so proud that you and Gary, who's not with us right now, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> I might have to get him on to fucking. That's what we'll do. Like, before we make this live, I'll send you his parts and he can fucking record that shit for me because that was fuck. It was bad. It was bad. Cause Ezra, it, it was like this. It was like, me Hey, Hey, I, I'm, I'm talking to you blah. And I fucking, and it's a fucking, and a, what the fuck you in a fucking helicopter? What the fuck motherfucker? Um, 
But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Live from New Chapter 7. Or New Chapter 7. <laughs> he, he was bad. He, he messaged me after after that. And he's like, yeah, that connection was really bad. I'm like, fucking we know. You got to tell us. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you that bit where it's really fucked up and unclear and let him re-record that. Um, I'm so proud that you and him took responsibility, though, because you said you have the addicted gene and I, I know I do in my family too, because I grew up with a pure red and alcoholic fuck the world sperm donor. Um, and I was the guy that like, I'm never going to do that. It's never going to be me. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Karma's a fucking bitch. Um, yep. <laughs> and you didn't blame your addictive gene on the fact that you had a problem right because i think that's such an easy way out and i know i've got a friend who's in the medical world and they sort of don't like that i'm against the whole using your environment and using your genes and this that and the other as an excuse because i am one of those people that's like you need to take responsibility at some point in time Am I wrong in that? I mean, honestly, I, no. I want to know. I want to know no. actual thoughts. And you're not. And I don't feel that way because I, <clears throat> uh, Scotty, I don't know if you ever met him or knew him. Uh, he and Mike were based together and then together again with you there when we were all there. Did you know? Yeah. Oh, oh okay. So he is um, a raging alcoholic. And in fact, um, he had just spent some time in the hospital um, uh, after having a seizure, and he um, had a crushing uh, fracture in his clavicle from falling out of his bed. And he, um, you know, I, I, Mike and I both talked to him on the phone, and we talked to his wife. And I got off the phone, and I looked at Mike straight in the face, and I said to him, I said, you know what? Enough is enough. He gets what, what's, what's going on. He gets what's been done. He understands it. Now it's time to buck up and fucking take accountability for your own actions as to where you have gotten yourself at this point, knowing that this is fucking destroying your life physically, mentally, emotionally, and not to mention everything and everyone around you, you know, and, and you're continuing to do this to your wife and it's time to, you know, strap up, you know, do whatever you got to do because, you know, this is, this is in your hands now. You know, um, cause I guarantee you, he, he was given a plethora of resources when he was at the hospital, if not drilled into him. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely. Thank um, you. I, and I don't, I don't mean to, you know, push that shit to the side cause it is serious. It is a real thing, but like you said, he's probably been given a shit ton of resources and yet he's like, man, I ain't got a problem. Fuck it. I got an addictive personality. Yeah. That's all it is. Like, really? Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I get it in your twenties, whatever. Go do you have fun, see the world. <laughs> but also you have to do better. Yeah. Do you better. Have, you have to do better. You have to grow up. You have to, Yes. you have to want in life and you have to strive in life and you have to, be responsible in life. I hate adulting. 
just as much as the next fucking adult. I want to be a kid again. I want to be five years old and in my little fucking Power Wheels Jeep with a goddamn <laughs> car battery strapped to it, scaring the shit out of my pussy cousin from New Jersey again. That's what I want to fucking do. Because that bitch fucking was a go-kart with goddamn plastic wheels. <laughs> Let me fucking tell you. That was some fun shit. Um, look, he was redheaded too. What the fuck's up with all these redheaded motherfuckers pissing me off tonight? Um, sealers. <laughs> uh, but you would think, because I'm sure that on some level they're hypocrites, right? And they tell people, you need to do better. You need to think about your family. You need to think about yourself. You need to think about your job. Yet they're over here. No, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need that. Fuck it. I don't need a helping hand. And I feel for them to an extent. Right? Because they don't see it. But there has to be something in you somewhere that says, yeah, maybe I should slow the fuck down. Am I wrong in thinking that? No, because that's exactly what what I thought is I need to do better. I, I need to knock this shit off because this is not doing any good for anybody. Mm-hmm. I was choosing to stay at home while my husband would take the boys out for all sorts of different events. And I chose, and that is time that you will never get back no matter how hard you try. So no, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you 100%. Let me ask you this, because I don't think we talked about this too much. Addiction fucks with you personally. We all know that. But on a personal level, when it comes to family and friends, how bad did it affect that part of your life? Oh, God. The, um, anytime, you know, being a military family and not living close to home, anytime my, my folks would come out, primarily my mom would come out for a visit, it never went well. Mm-hmm. And it always ended up with the silent treatment or her getting mad or it, it never, ever can I tell you a visit besides, you know, the ones that I've been sober, that a visit ever went smooth, ever. There was always a fight, always. And honestly, you know, when it came to my husband's and my relationship, you know, there were, you know, it was like we were roommates because I I just didn't. I was all out serving myself, serving myself completely. You know, you talk about intimacy and, you know, not just the physical part of it, but mentally and emotionally, Mm -hmm. you know, being there for your significant other and your spouse. And you just don't give a shit. So absolutely. It affected, but you know, and the friends well, that, that we really hung out with a lot too, though, they were all, you know, they part, partook in all the drinking. Right. Um, so, but you know, what's funny is once everybody knew what had kind of gone on with me that were there locally, you know, and I was in treatment and stuff, they all were like, I can't believe that this is, this is you. This is what happened because I never would have guessed. I'm like, how would you not have guessed? I fucking sat out on the porch 14 hours of the day drinking 18 angry orchards and smoking three packs of, you know, cigarettes. How did you not know? I never left that porch. UPS, USPS and FedEx. They all knew me. I sat on the corner. Every goddamn person in my neighborhood knew who Leslie was. Like, how did you not know? I was not hiding it. So now these interactions did, was it the drinking that caused most of it? Or was it you being sober and not drinking that caused it? Or was it a oh, me mix absolutely of both? drinking? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I would always, of course, come up with a reason why I was drinking. And then it got to the point where I was hiding it mm-hmm. and drinking it. You know, I would, I would sneak it upstairs and put it in my closet. 
um, and drink it after, you know, my, my mom would go to bed. And so it, you know, and I'll never forget my mom and dad had come out, you know, to help when I had had a, a pretty big surgery when we were in Louisiana at Barksdale. And I remember the power, we had a, a horrible winter storm that shut down the base, shut down the city that the city had never seen anything like it. And my mom went up in my, at the time, my four-year-old child's bedroom, and she shut herself in there for like four hours and never came out. and never spoke to me for the next two days. Damn. And she apologized and still apologizes to this day for treating me the way that she did because she said that I know now that that was never a way to try and help solve this problem, treating you that way. And so... You know, it, there was a lot there to be sorted out. And, you know, I, I didn't, I don't still don't really know what to say to this day as far as how she treated me other than no mom. No, that was not helpful. You yelling at me and ignoring me and giving me the silent treatment for the very short amount of time that we were together, seeing each other only two or three times a year, that wasn't helpful. No. Right. So, and, and for you to think that getting mad at me was going to make me quit you're wrong that that was absolutely counterintuitive it made me want to drink more yeah. you know what i mean yep. at that time so you know you were not you were not helping you were or hindering you were not hindering the drink you were helping it <laughs> so i i don't know i want to ask that dynamic uh, was tough. i want war dog to ask you any questions but before we go on to that that's <clears throat> That's another thing that I think it's overlooked with people who have addiction is we get mad at them. And I'm not saying don't be mad at them. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying don't bitch at them. Don't force feed them shit. Don't, Don't let your anger out on them just because they're drinking, just because they're high. Yeah, you might need to yell at them once in a while. I get that. Whatever. But straight up downing them or demeaning them or locking themselves away from you or starting a fight just because they can, just because you won't remember it or whatever. That's that's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help you. It's definitely not going to help the addiction. If anything, like Leslie said, it's going to fucking add to it and it's going to make it worse. Um, Absolutely. And like I said, I'm not saying that you need to coddle them, but you don't need to be fucking, what's his name? Ah, shit. What's the fucking emoji movie where the fucking emoji's all red and he gets all fiery and shit and he loses his shit on everything? I never saw it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I, I just know that little dude. I just know that little dude because somebody sent it to me one day and they were like, this is you when you go on a rant. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. But don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Uh, War Dog, what do you want to ask Leslie or talk to her about as far as the alcoholism is concerned? It wasn't so much in terms of uh, questions. I just want to give a compliment and tell you how proud I am of you for everything you've accomplished and overcome and uh, your um, your mentality, your mind state and that should, you know, people should want to copy and emulate, um, you know, uh, everywhere. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come 
and open up and share your story the way you have. Well, I, I appreciate that, sir, very much. That that means a lot. I, you know, I have been told these kinds of things every now and then, and and I do uh, remember every single one of them. And I, in fact, write them down on a note card and put them in my recovery box because when shit gets tough, I pull that out and and I read it, and it's a reminder of of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Right on. And I don't know how you feel about me making this public. Because Oink told me before you came on, um, but you you didn't feel like you had a story to share with everybody, and that's just absolutely not true. Civilian, spouse of a of a veteran, it don't matter. You went through some bullshit, and there's other people that went through some bullshit. They're going through some bullshit right now. You got away from the bullshit. You have to deal with the bullshit every day, but you have another way to cope with it. And if they know that you've done it, maybe they can be like, I can do this too. So the fact that you think you don't have a story, you absolutely have a story. That makes your story even more worthwhile. The fact that you don't see that you have a story to share with others. That you think it, I, don't, I know you think it is helpful, right? But. Just saying you don't have a story means you don't feel that self-worth to let others know that they can do it too. But the fact that you're here right now, you've told your story, you've let others know that just because all the bullshit is there and, and, and the, the drinking and the, uh, the, the pills or the drugs or whatever is there on the bedside nightstand or whatever, doesn't mean you can't go tomorrow without it and start rehab wherever you need to do it. Right. So absolutely. And, you know, people don't have to have a horrible, horrible, you know, background or history, mm -hmm. you know, in order to consider themselves someone who, you know, is worthy of recovery and a better life. You know, they don't, I I don't have, you know, yes, I, I did lose my brother to suicide and that was absolutely you know, uh, horrific and it will always be horrific as something in my, in my past, but, you know, I don't have a, a laundry list of horrific things that I can say, you know, this is why, you know, I chose to live the way that I did for so long, you know, and this is why I, I, you know, chose to make the decisions that I did, you know, how many times I, I put my, my fucking husband's career at risk when I, would blatantly know I was fucking loaded and get in the car and I would drive off that base and drive back on knowing that at any second they could smell and I could be popped. And, but you know, I, I, I don't have a long, a laundry list of horrible things. I, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of it for me was self-worth and I still am, even though I'm two years out, I still struggle with that every single day. And it's one of those, I get up in, in the morning and I get my toothbrush and I look at myself and every morning, 10 times I say, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself because the brain is going to believe what it is told sooner or later. And so here, two years later, I'm still telling myself, I love myself. <laughs> so my work shrink says, I love my job. I love my job. I just keep repeating that. You'll love your job. Not a fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing I'm glad you brought up. And I know it's, almost been two hours and we probably need to wrap it up because people are probably going to be like, what the fuck, Bo? Um, <laughs> but it affects not just your life, but your friends and family too. So much like, oh, yeah. 
and not just careers, but mentally, emotionally, financially, socially. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike, my husband, he was by far my biggest, by far my biggest enabler. And I'll never forget my second night in treatment. And I was fucking pissed off at the world. You better watch out because I'm I'm coming like a wrecking ball through that fucking detox area before they move me up to residential. And I said, you get my fucking husband on the phone. And I said, book me a fucking ticket. I'm coming home. I'm not doing this shit. And for the first time in our entire relationship, he told me no. And he told me no when it mattered the most. No, you are not coming home. And so... I, I obviously did not. And I thought, well, fuck, if he's telling me no, then I guess I better. <laughs> Mike doesn't get mad. Like, <laughs> If he's I telling know, me no, I better I, sit I, my ass down and say, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I tuck my tail between my legs and I waddle back to that fucking detox center. And oh, my God. Yeah. So, it, it you know, he was my biggest enabler, but he when it really mattered and it counted and it was like a life or death type thing, he said no. No, he told me no. So he set that boundary, which is another thing that I probably could talk an hour long on. <laughs> but I know that that's, you know, that would run out of time. But that, you know, that's also very important to your boundaries. But um, anyways, I. Well, I, if you had to live with the stash that that man can grow, I'd be oh, drinking, too. I'm just uh-huh. saying. Uh. Scotty, he's got it now. And I said, what the fuck? It's, it's November. Not, yep. Yep. It, no, I, this was in October. I said, what oh, are you really? Doing? You don't need to prep for November. No shame, November, because you can grow that overnight. So why are you doing it now? God <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, if that's not oh, a sound I, I miss that every November, be honest with you now. I mean, uh. <laughs> no, and it's not just November, Scotty. It's in March, too. Well, yes. <laughs> and then it doesn't help that everybody brags about it and raves about it. I'm like, don't fill his head full of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. God. No, we, we oh. do. We would Some love to never have. change, right? <laughs> <laughs> We would love to have you and Gary back on. Obviously, Gary, too, because asshole had to be like, fuck you, motherfuckers. I'm out of here. This ain't fun no more. Um, well, the funny thing is, is that our listeners don't know, but uh, like I said, he's a fire alarm technician and he got called out on a job because the fire alarm's going off and he's got to reset it or do something to it. But they called his coworker first. And guess what, folks? His coworker's fucking hammered. Oh, yeah. God. So he got called in. Ironic. The exactly. irony, yeah. Exactly. Not yeah. only is he a fucking recovering alcoholic, he's doing a show about his recovering alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's that Alanis Morissette song? <laughs> yeah. Well, people. I was really nervous about, you know, doing this. And I know Scotty knows I went back and forth for days after he asked me. And I, you know, my Mike finally, he just said, Leslie, I really think it would be good for you to do this because not only would you help other people, but I think it's, you know, it's therapeutic for yourself too. And it kind of reminds me of where my life is going now and what it really is all about. Because if I don't have my sobriety and my recovery, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. So I appreciate the invite and the pep talk, Scotty. And, um, you know, you having me on, sir, I, you know, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I'm a horrible human. See, it's the brain. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember. I'm Bo. And then you got War Dog. I'm sorry. Oh, God. <sighs> All I could think about when when you said Scotty knows is Scotty doesn't know. Oh, oh. <laughs> Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know. <laughs> fucking, that's all I can think about now. Thanks for that. Thanks for putting that in my goddamn fucking brain. 
<laughs> fucking see Matt Damon on the fucking movie now with his fucking bald head, his fucking punk rock bullshit. What the <laughs> fuck were they thinking? God damn it. Scotty doesn't oh. know. Whoa, whoa. Anyway, um, no, I absolutely would love to have you and Gary back on because this is just, in a sense, the preamble to what you can put out there for people to know because you've got your story out there and people can hear your story. And then you've got the recovering part. And there's so many questions that I know we haven't asked tonight because like I said, this is just a preamble for people to hear your story, your point of view, your perspective, because not only are you female, but you're a military spouse and those are two things that don't get enough highlight, spotlight, whatever the fuck you want to call it, in the world when it comes to addictions. Yeah, you see it on A&E, but they make that bullshit so fucking stupid. It's not even fun. I'm so tired of watching that shit. These <laughs> Intervention? <days>. Intervention? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fucking. Yeah. I like that at one point. When it first started, it was great. And then it became every other fucking reality-based fucking show in the world. Um. I should have known, but no, there's, there's so many things that we could talk about. There's so many topics that we could just literally, like you said, go on for hours about and anybody listening right now, please ask the questions. We'll ask Leslie. We'll ask Gary. We'll have them both back on if they're willing. Um, if you're battling addiction, reach out. There's so many out there that you could reach out to, uh, try the VA if you, are a veteran or a spouse. Um, if they won't take you, then do like Gary and Leslie done and find a place that you're comfortable with that, you know, will help you, uh, ask people that have went through rehab. You can ask Leslie, you can ask Gary. I'm sure they'll be willing to, uh, take some contacts. You can email us info at dvradio.net and oink at dvradio.net and we'll relay those messages to them and then if uh maybe we can set them up with an email of their own or something with uh dv radio and they can give you resources and i would be willing to help anyone that wanted it or needed it or had any questions i'd be willing to reach out to any of my contacts to find someone a facility to if they were willing you know and wanting to to look into it um i i would be more than happy to help anybody do that and and I appreciate without the that. pressure of okay, you got to go if you're going to do this. No, it's just purely for information. Right. And um, listeners' discretion, no medical advice. So fuck that bullshit. Um, but <laughs> if you if you or someone you know is battling addiction, right? Um, seriously, reach out. Uh, do it right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till the next day. If you're listening to it on podcast. Do it. Don't fucking wait. There is, if you wait till tomorrow, it'll be next year. And next year becomes five years and five years becomes 10 years. Trust me. I've seen it. I've I've seen it all my life. I've got family members. I got friends. I've lost friends and family members to it. I lost a friend a couple years ago and then I lost another one this year or yeah. So, I mean, what can you do, right? You can only give them the tools in the toolbox. It's up to them to build something out of it. Yep, absolutely. And there, it, it is possible. 
And it is absolutely possible and there is hope and you know nobody is is too far beyond help there mm-hmm. is help for everybody everybody everybody's worth it everybody's worth the help for yes. sure Absolutely. And and don't worry about the financial aspect. There's so many places that'll help you financially. There's so many places that'll do it for free. And I'm sure that we can find resources. Leslie, Gary, Oink, Wardog, Recoil, all of us, we can help you find something. Um, I think we need to stop pulling this out because I I just want to, we just want to keep taking this because it's, it's, it's one of those things, like I said, it's not talked enough about, and we've not done a show like this in a very, very, very long time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take Gary's story and your story, Leslie, I'm going to separate those two. It's just going to be a podcast of itself. And then I'm going to have this as a podcast so people can hear your story and then they can come and listen to all of this. And uh, hopefully it reaches somebody that, knows that they need to get help. Um, and, Cause that's why we do DV radio, whether it's addiction, whether it's battling demons, whether it's PTSD, whether it's MST, it doesn't matter what it is. And somebody's story or something we say helps one person, saves one person, gets one person to tomorrow. That's our paycheck. We've done our job and that's, and like I said, as long as I can keep doing this and as long as I can keep paying for it, I'm a fucking keep doing it. So as long as one person's listening, at least motherfuckers. Um, so, uh, <laughs> before, uh, I wrap up on my end and I get war dog and like, Leslie, is there anything that you'd like to say to our listeners that are listening live or on podcast, uh, about anything, whether it's addiction or just some life lesson or joke, whatever you got on your brain right now. (laughs) I just can't, I can't hone in enough and say it enough that, you know, every single individual out there that is struggling, you are absolutely worth it. There are people out there that love you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And without you in their life, it would never, their life would never be the same again. So please, please don't ever feel that you are, are not worth it or you are not loved because I can guarantee you, you are loved by more people more than you could ever, ever possibly imagine ever. Absolutely. Leslie, you can stay on with us uh, when we do the outro and all. Um, Word dog last thoughts for tonight's listeners or on podcast. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I joke and I say uh, the psych ward gang often, but in all seriousness, I say it because it represents mental health in the mental community. Uh, if you happen to run into any type of mental health crisis, do not be ashamed or afraid to dial 988 and choose option one. Again, just as I had to, do not be ashamed nor afraid to dial the digits 988 and choose option one if you have a mental health crisis. Have a great week. Stay safe. Salute. And that number again is 988. Uh, not only is there battle and distress, not only is there the VA, not only is there local outreach programs that you can reach out to and talk to in your local area, but we've been with this organization since before they even were a nonprofit organization because we knew it needed to be done. We knew that veterans needed it and they're working on getting emergency responders and all that uh, incorporated into the app. Oink, tell us about Objective Zero, please. Objective Zero has ambassadors or, or peace, what do they call them, peacekeepers now, peace finders. 
I can't remember what it is now off the top of my head, but uh, they got individuals standing by 24-7 willing to talk to you. And you can sort these individuals by their MOS, by branch of service, by state, whatever the case may be. There's somebody willing to listen to you 24-7. And that's all it takes is sometimes is somebody listening to you. So if you're struggling about anything and you're looking for some resources on how to combat some demons of your own, head over to ObjectiveZero.org. Check those folks out. And if you have the time, download the app for your Android or iOS device. You never know. It's a tool that's in your back pocket and it's there for you and your battle buddies for that matter. Absolutely. And it's not just for men, it's for women too. You can choose exactly who you want to talk to at any given point in time when you open that app or you use the desktop browser app. You can be completely anonymous. You can be whatever you want to be called. It doesn't matter. You can put in whatever information you want. They also have a lot of resources on there. Uh, they have yoga and stuff to, like that. I used to do yoga myself back before I got all fucked up. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not just for white chicks that drink Starbucks. Yoga is so fucking calming. It's not even funny. You don't have to do stretching yoga. You can just do fucking calming yoga. There's so many different types of yoga. Um, they have a lot of other resources outside of that as well. Uh, please don't forget you have until tomorrow, November 5th. Right here on dvradio.net, click on the DV Radio store to get 20% off your entire order. Be sure you click the redeem button. 100% profit goes to whomever that organization you buy from. Uh, yeah, that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's an individual, it goes to the individual. If it's the organization, it goes to the organization, i.e. Sergeant War Dog, DV Farm, Change Unchained, DV Against DV Merch does go towards Change Unchained. Uh, and so on and so forth. If it's DD radio, it comes to DD radio. Uh, also under other podcasts, go check it out. We got veteran trash talk and a couple others under there. And as well as under the DVR family, uh, hopefully we can start working with, uh, veteran trash talk very soon. Uh, next Saturday, November 11th, right here on dvradio.net on Barrett's talk. We will have ACE from bulletproof podcast. She is also under other podcasts. If you haven't given her a listen, go give her a listen right now after we end this show or after you listen to us here on podcast. She's a wonderful woman. Can't wait till you hear her fucking resume. Holy fucking Jesus. Goddamn Christ, Mary and Joseph. It's a fucking resume. Let me goddamn tell you. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> My eyes got tired of reading of all the accomplishments and classes and stuff she went through. Dude, every time I open an email from her, I'm like, did something get added? <laughs> um, but the woman does not stop. Let's tell you that. Well, let me tell you what, boy. Uh, but yes, go give Ace a listen on Bulletproof Podcast. Um, and uh, also next week, November 11th, is Veterans Day, and you get 11% off. Don't ask me why it's 11%. I guess because November 11th, the 11th month, the 11th day of the 11th month. I don't fucking know. It's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't control the promos. Just go fucking use it. Take advantage of it. Um, I want you guys to take advantage of the promos. I absolutely do. If I didn't want you to use the promos, I wouldn't fucking have them available. So stop asking me for fucking discounts and go use the goddamn fucking promos. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Fine stuff's good, okay? <laughs> oh, shit. But no, uh, Leslie, thank you for coming on. Uh, Gary, if you are listening, fuck you. Um, we do want to have you guys back on again very, very soon. Uh, for Gary, who said fuck everybody and left, 
poor Leslie and Oink and Wardog and Recoil who couldn't make it tonight. And my mom who's just throwing this fucking honey bun thing all around and it's just fucking irritating the shit out of me. I'm Bonnerwood. You just heard Barracks talk right here on WDRDV Radio.net. Until next week, Flesticles. Bye-bye. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Radio.